0: This is a woman I first saw in September of last year. At that time, she was 80 years old, just a past medical history of hypertension, nothing other than that. She had been seen in the hospital for abdominal cramps and at the time they did a CAT scan which showed a couple questionable shadows in her liver. She then underwent an MRI of her abdomen which showed three discrete liver lesions, the large of which was approximately five by three and a half centimeters. The other two were approximately two centimeters each all on the right side. She had a CEA done at the time, which is a little bit over 600, and then was referred for a colonoscopy. Her colonoscopy showed a large secal mass, which was consistent with adenocarcinoma. Anything else you want to say about this woman? What was her general condition? Oh, she was performance status of zero. She was an emigrant from England from about 30 years ago, a widow for a couple years, lived with her daughter. She did have to travel about 30 miles to get to my office, but other than that, she was in shape like a 60-year-old. Was she knowledgeable about the disease? Was she trying to get information about the disease? What was her attitude about it? She didn't come in prepped with a lot of information. Her daughter had a lot of data with her and had a lot of questions, but she wasn't specifically schooled in the right questions to ask. What was her sort of emotional reaction to the situation? She was actually rather upbeat about the whole thing. She hadn't been prepped with any real information from the doctor she had seen previously about what to expect as far as prognosis and treatment. And even up front, though, she wasn't that interested in what her
1: prognosis was. She just really wanted to get started on therapy. You say she had some, in the hospital, some mild abdominal pain. I mean, mm-hmm. was she asymptomatic by the time you saw her? Were they able to get a scope past it? They anesthesia? were able to get
0: a scope past it. She was not even near obstruction when they did the colonoscopy.
1: Well, that would be the key from my perspective. I mean, and I'll defer to Neil and what he would use, but this patient, we would go right to systemic therapy. You know, the old surgical dictum was in that patient, you'd take them to operation, take out their primary, and then you'd send them down to the street to kneel and say, go ahead and do something for us here. And those days are gone. I mean, the only patients we now operate when they present with stage four disease is if they have symptomatic primary lesions. If in this patient you do not have obstruction, you don't have bleeding that you can't control, we would go right to chemotherapy in that patient before considering any surgical therapy. Neil? And so when I'm faced with this patient, the first thing I'm asking myself
2: is, can I cure this patient? What is the goal of therapy? And from what you've described so far, she's still potentially curable. And I would solicit Steve's opinion on that. And then once he sent her back to me and said, shrink them down, and then we'll do the operation, then my question would be, okay, what is the optimal duration of chemotherapy from your standpoint beyond which your surgical risk will be increased? So I would enter into a full Fox plus Bevacizumab or Folfiri plus Bevacizumab regimen, and I would ask my surgical colleague, provided that the patient is
1: responding, how long do you want me to treat her for until you'll take her to the OR? And I will add one thing parenthetically. I would want to know something about the quality of her liver, specifically, as we all know, in this day and age, even though this lady's initially from England, she's been living in the United States, too many of us probably are a bit more overweight than we should be. And so steatosis is a real problem for me as a hepatobiliary surgeon. Even more troublesome is NASH, non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. And what we have found in an analysis of our own data, we actually just published this in JCO, is that irinotecan-based chemotherapy more frequently is associated with NASH. Certainly oxaliplatin-based chemotherapy, we see a vascular sinusoidal dilatation, sort of sinusitis type of situation, sort of parenthetically called blue liver. And the liver really does look blue when you operate on it. It's kind of an interesting phenomenon. Those livers do okay. Those with steatohepatitis, we had a much higher complication rate and even a higher mortality rate. So I'm a little bit cautious in using Arena TCAN in a patient we're going for a cure. So we would prefer, you know, and I would have a conversation with Neil about this. We would prefer the Fall Bevacizumab regimen. We would again give three cycles re-scan the patient and see what the response to therapy was. If they had had a good reduction in both the primary and the metastatic disease, and again, if you can't really image the primary lesion on CT, we'd re-scope the patient. We would essentially at that point talk to the patient about having a surgical procedure. Interestingly enough, and again, this would have been heresy to say five years ago, and I probably would have never stated this publicly, but we will occasionally go after the liver metastases before we go after the primary, because the effect of the chemotherapy on the liver is much more concerning to us. So we will now take that patient, again, these lesions are all right lobe. I would do a right hepatectomy at that point, do another three months of chemotherapy if the patient still had an asymptomatic primary, and interestingly enough, finish off the treatment with resection of the primary. How much morbidity does it add to do both procedures together in an 80-year-old? well, I can't specifically comment on an 80-year-old. I can comment it depends on the quality of the liver and the amount of liver to be resected. We have done that. We have done right hemicolectomies and a right hepatectomy in somebody who has very normal liver, meaning there's really minimal, if any, steatosis, no preceding history of any kind of liver-related problems, hepatitis infections, etc. Certainly, I would not consider doing an extended liver resection, either an extended right or left, and do the primary resection at the same time. And the reason here is I am worried about the effect of hepatic regeneration, the fact that the liver is an extremely selfish organ. Protein and energy utilization by the liver during regeneration goes up markedly, and we certainly would be concerned about any anastomotic complications. I would probably be more willing to do that with a right-sided tumor than I would with a left-sided tumor, again, because the complications associated with a left-sided anastomotic leak are much more catastrophic. Bill? Since you don't know what the liver looks like till you get in there, do you tell the patient that you might or might not be able to do the right hemicolectomy depending on what happens, or how do you know what they're doing? Do, like do a liver biopsy. So you always biopsy we the liver. We always biopsy normal? the liver when we start. Yep, absolutely. And actually I'll just backtrack a minute. You can get a feel of what the liver looks like based on imaging. We are now looking at a number of dynamic imaging techniques with both MR and CT that we are correlating then pathologically in the patients we take, and we find that we really can get a feel for the amount of steat a rough percentage of the steatosis of the liver based on dynamic imaging. So you can tell patients who have a somewhat fatty liver before you start... We like to get that image before they start chemotherapy and then again we would look at the same sort of images after three months of therapy to see if that patient really is increasing their steatosis. The other thing that we're worried about is that obviously as oncologists in the past many patients were told, gee, we don't want you losing weight, we want you maintaining your nutrition. We're seeing more and more patients now who are not only not losing weight but they're gaining 20 or 30 pounds on therapy and they're eating a little bit too much ice cream and double cheeseburgers so we're kind of telling people, look, eat a little more logical diet here. Watch out for the fat. Eat a good, healthy diet. We don't want you to lose weight, but we also don't want you putting on 30 pounds over the next three months, because that will also increase your steatosis. Can
0: you follow up with this patient, Dr. Vasirga?
1: Sure. So given her difficulty in getting to my office,
0: we decided to go with Zolota, Oxaliplatin, and Bevacizumab, Q3 weekly. She got three months worth of systemic treatment, and we re-imaged her. She had a dramatic response Firstly, her CEA dropped by about 90%, and secondly, the liver lesions, of the three of them, the two smaller ones were now not perceivable on the imaging, and the primary larger one had shrunk from approximately five by three and a half to about 50% of its original size. So at that time, she saw the surgical oncologist at the local university. She underwent a right hemicolectomy with a right hepatectomy. The pathology at the time of the surgery, they removed a total of 18 lymph nodes. She had one positive. The tumor was still viable within the livers, approximately two and a half centimeters. All the margins were clear, and she subsequently went on to receive the remainder of her systemic therapy. I had a question for Neil though concerning preoperative chemo. Now that the full Fox data is out. Do you consider that now more up front, and would you add bevacizumab
2: with that? You're referring to the presentation at ASCO this year in the poster discussion session of Folfox with irinotecan, which showed a commensurately improved response rate with the irinotecan, but didn't have bevacizumab as a component, in, it, and of course had more toxicity associated with the additional drug. Again, this boils down to, for me, what is it going to take to cure this patient. And if there is a patient who can only get to cure, meaning that surgery is a component of it, by having a truly miraculous response to therapy, then that's the patient in whom you're going to consider the kitchen sink. Now, that kitchen sink might be full Foxiri and bevacizumab for which there's no data. It might include bevacizumab and cetuximab with chemotherapy for which there's limited data, but that's the rare circumstance where I go over the top and base a treatment decision on data that may not be as mature as I'd like. In general, though, I'm not using Folfoxiri right now for my garden-variety neoadjuvant before surgical resection patients, but you raise a good point. And the patient who the surgeon says, looking at this scan, it's really marginally resectable now, or there are more metastases than I'd be comfortable resecting, that's the person that I start to think about taking a more aggressive approach, if you will.
0: I want to take a adjuvant breath for a few minutes. We've been cracking out a lot of liver Mets, for, particularly because of Steve's expertise. I want to ask Dr. Rees to present his case.